glad you're here today. We're, we're finishing up this series. We've been walking through the major sections of the book of James and looking at some of the pressure points we face in life. And our goal has been to understand how to handle pressure from God's point of view. And repeatedly, the book of James shows us how to make the most of pressure-packed situations as we turn to God and let Him change us in the middle of pressure. We've, we've looked at trials and trouble, temptation, words... Uh, we've looked at just responding to God's Word in, in action. And so as we're walking through this, uh, my hope is that God's spoken to you about some specific things that He wants you to apply to your life and respond to Him in the midst of your own pressure. Today is Palm Sunday, and so it's, it's, it's a day that we uh, remember the beginning of the Passion Week where Jesus rode into Jerusalem as He experienced uh, the reception of royalty, the reception really of a king. This is what uh, people would do to, to honor royalty is to lay down palm branches. And as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was, he was riding into Jerusalem and they received Him in this way. And lots of smiles, but by the end of the week, He would be handed over to the authorities. False charges would be brought against Him. He'd be convicted and sentenced to death. And so, in, in one week, he, it shifts from this kind of a reception into this type of a scene where Jesus is carrying His cross, heading to, uh, uh, to die. And uh, I read a, a devotional by Charles Spurgeon sometimes, and, and uh, on the fifth of this month, the, the devotion that I read, it was focused in on Simon of Cyrene, a man who was forced by the Romans to carry Jesus' cross when he was just too much you know, in pain and unable to really just carry this cross alone. Simon is called out of the crowd and told, you're going to help carry his cross. And Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, he was a Baptist preacher in the late 1800s in Britain. And he, he draws out of the picture of Simon uh, some, some key things about suffering. I want to show you this quote that I read earlier this week. It says this, We see in Simon's carrying the cross a picture of the work of the church throughout all generations. She, speaking of the church, she is the cross bearer after Jesus. Mark then, Christian, Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering which some might say. He bears a cross, not that you should escape it, but that you may endure it. Christ exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. Remember that and expect to suffer. And this is a perspective that many pastors, as they get into God's Word, they, they teach about this aspect of suffering. That This is a part of, of life. And so we, Jesus never promised to give us heaven on earth. He, he said we can expect to experience trouble just like everyone else in the world. In fact, there's uh, added pressure if you're a Christ follower. There's added pressure of the flesh. There's opposition that we feel internally to obey Christ. While the old, you know, the old me is saying, no, don't obey Christ. Follow your desires. Follow the, the, the emotions. Follow your uh, desires and the pressures of this world. Or there's opposition coming from the world. Uh, and so we feel this, just a real challenge. There's a battle, even as uh, supernatural forces battle against us from, from the devil and his forces. And so we, we battle. There is suffering. And so this week we remember both Jesus' triumphal entry, but then near the end of the week the suffering begins and he endures the cross. And we want to give you, as a church, we want to give you an accurate picture of what, what, what you can expect you know, 
as far as being a Christ follower. God doesn't promise to just remove the pressure from your life if you turn to Christ, but He promises to walk with you through the pressure points. And He also promises to use pressure in your life to grow you. He wants to grow a character in you. He wants to grow an endurance in you that will probably grow in no other way than through the pressure points, as we've been looking at, as James has said. Today we're going to wrap up by focusing in on injustice. How how injustice is a pressure that we face, and again, it helps us grow. How do we handle life when things just seem unfair? Uh, Injustice, whenever we walk through it or when we see it happening in the world around us, it gets us riled up. Injustice riles us up. Uh, Many times the thought goes through your mind when you're walking through injustice or someone else's, the, the thought is, man, that's just wrong. That is just wrong. That's not fair. This shouldn't be happening. And the reason is because God has given us a justice motive so that when we see or experience wrongdoing in the world, we're motivated in our soul deep down to do something about it. We, we, we feel the need to step in and fix the situation. We feel the, the need to defend. We feel the need, the need to react, to respond. And it makes, it, it makes mo- movies like, like this movie coming out very appealing. Justice League. You know, when there's injustice, we need justice. We need someone to fly in and fix the situation. And so we, we're, we're, we're drawn into this kind of a movie because it, it makes sense that someone needs to fix the situation. Uh, maybe, maybe when injustice happens in your life, you're tempted to do something about it. It could be that you're tempted to do this, to maybe leave a bad Yelp review. <laughs> and you're, you had some interaction that was rough and so you're like, I'm gonna, I'm going to show them. Somebody needs to show them. I'm going to document this experience. And so you go and you give a bad Yelp review. Or I, I don't know what it is you do when injustice happens on large scale or small scale. But there is something in us that wants to do something about it and fix the situation. And we need to know, what do we do with the strong emotions that follow right behind words or actions or policies that are unjust. We need to know what do we do with the emotions. And so James, he, he answers this question. Here's what you do when, when life is not fair. And he's speaking to a group of people. We've, we've highlighted this several times. James's audience is people who are experiencing tremendous injustice, tremendous suffering, as they have been... Uh, have, have, many of them had to flee Jerusalem because of the persecution. People were scattered because of their faith. Once people decided to follow Christ, they became really enemies of the state and the ruling religious powers who had the political clout could arrest the Christians and have them executed, you know, trumping up charges of treason against the government. And so Christians were fleeing Jerusalem. So James is writing his letter to people who've been basically scattered from previous persecutions of God's people or this current situation in the first century. And so James, he begins this last chapter of the book by calling out those who are guilty of doing the injustice. Okay, One of those groups is a wealthy group of, of landowners. And in James's situation, he's calling out these rich people who have a lot of power because of their money and are mistreating people. They're not giving them their fair wages. People that are working in their fields, they're not paying them rightly. And so James comes against them. So he shifts gears, whereas most of James, he says, hey, brothers, you brothers, he shifts here in, in chapter 5 to come now, you rich. And he, he addresses some people who are doing injustice. And so James's point is this. I'm going to invite you to pull out your your listening guide. Here's his point. God 
doesn't ignore injustice. When life isn't fair, God doesn't ignore it. He's not falling asleep. God does not ignore it. He actually brings consequences to the, un- to the unjust. He brings those consequences. Look at chapter 5, verses 1-3. through three. James writes, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. They're starting to experience some consequences for their actions, for, their, for them causing injustice. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. James is speaking to these people who have tremendous wealth and status and they're gaining an advantage over other people using their power. They're placing their hope in their money, their hope in their riches, and really their hope is in the wrong things and James says it's it's falling apart, it's starting to corrode. Your lives, he's saying, it's like moth Moths are coming and they're eating up your, your, your livelihood. Moth-eaten garments. It's a pretty interesting word picture if you've ever had holes in a nice suit from moths. I've had that happen before. I'm like, darn, how did this happen, you know? And I killed a moth last night because I was thinking about this passage. I was thinking, <laughs> you're not going to get my, my stuff, you know? But James, he is saying... <clears throat> The rich think that there's total protection, but there really isn't. God actually wires some things in. He deals with some things. The group that he's speaking to have begun to actually realize that they've been putting their hopes in the wrong things and it's starting to crumble. They're actually in misery, he says to them. Look at, look at verse 5 and 6. We'll come back to verse 4. To the rich, he says this, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So the picture that we see described here is that they're using their wealth to lord their power over others, to take advantage of people who are working in their fields and not paying them what they're due. They're not paying the workers their wages fairly. And what is happening is God has heard the workers' cries. And righteous people have been condemned. So what's happening is people aren't being paid but then the rich landowners are taking righteous people to court and winning court cases and condemning righteous people. So that's, that's, that's unjust. It shouldn't be happening. And James is saying, it's happening, but he's saying to this group of people, you're living a hollowed out existence. This whole lifestyle, this whole lording over that you're doing, he's saying, it's, it's, it's hollowed out. This is a bleak picture of life that James is painting for, for any of us that choose to uh, lord over other people through power and doing that in an unjust way, doing that in a harsh way. This is a warning. Now here's the good news. The good news is this, that God deals with injustice. He deals with it. He actually, the second thing here is, He hears cries for justice. He hears when we cry out to Him. In fact, he's actually listening to... Look at this picture in verse 4. Behold, he says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. He's saying, the money that was owed to these workers that you didn't pay, that money is crying out to God. And he hears those cries. 
the cries of the harvesters, those people working in the fields, are crying out as well. So the money's crying out saying, we're owed to these people and God hears it. The, the cries of the people that should have been paid it are crying out and it's reaching the ear of the Lord of hosts. Basically, God's hearing this, uh, these cries for justice. The Lord of hosts, He hears the pains of those who suffer unjustly. Anytime we're going through unjust treatment, injustice, God hears our cries. He walks with all of those who are crushed with pain and pressure from injustice. And so if you've ever experienced this in your own life, God hears you. He hears those cries. My, I think my first experience with this, uh, with wrestling through what do I do when I feel like I'm being treated unfairly, it came pretty much in my early 20s. I finished my education. I had had some internships in college. And I had my final internship in college. It was a really rough experience. And I felt like, man, I was treated really unfairly. And it ended poorly. I didn't feel like I could speak for myself. I was just kind of um, mistreated. And I processed it with a bunch of people. And I, I just walked away from the situation pretty hurt and frustrated. And... I got to my, my very first real job in the real world, and I, I had for a boss a very, very difficult supervisor. And he was, uh, he would belittle me. It felt like he was trying to keep me down. Like it was like he's stepping on my neck. I just felt like I'd go to work and he's just, he's keeping me from, from rising. He's keeping me from really growing here. And he would, he would do these things and I would just get so worked up at, I, I, I just wanted to pop. And, and as much as I wanted to like find the holes in his life and pick apart the way he led, I knew it really wasn't my job to do that. And but I was wrestling. I had to wrestle with getting up and going to work. But I also was realizing I think God is trying to teach me something through this through this season. And I remember like some of the names he would call me, and it would just get under my skin, and I would I, was, and I, I, I couldn't just react. I needed that job. I mean, I was married. We were a young married couple, and I needed to to provide. And so I was wrestling with this tension of I, I didn't have anything else really going for me other than this job. I need to stay in this job. And some time went on. And sometimes I would think, I'm just going to catch this guy doing something wrong, and I'm going to turn him in somehow. I'm going to get him in trouble with his boss. And I uh, decided not to do that, thankfully, because that may have rolled back on me in some way. And at a certain point, months and months and months went on, and I got called into a meeting with his his boss. And I was in a long line of conversations they were having with people that worked under the supervisor, and they were basically just... Um, examining his work and basically saying there's been some complaints and we just want to know if you've experienced these things or not. They didn't say, hey, fill in all the details, tell me everything else you got on. They just said, have you experienced these things or not? And I said, yeah, I have experienced those things. Okay. That's all we need. And a lot of inside I want to say, well, wait, 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 I got my list. Hold on, hold on. I got, I got more. They didn't ask me for all that. Well, he, he ends up losing his job and I saw, wow, like God was working out a process here. I could have really I uh, jumped ahead. The temptation was for me to, through my thoughts, through my emotions, to really try to speed that process up. And God was actually in the process of moving him along. The next guy that came in that, that I began to report to called me kid and son. 
And uh, that, again, got under me. And I'm like, man, I know I'm the youngest around here, but why is this guy calling me kid? Why does he call me son? And I'm not his son. I'm not... (laughs) And he was, I think he was from Texas or something, but it was still like, I just, it got, you know, got under me again. Now, if you're, fast forward, he wasn't there very long as well, but I, I could see God was actually trying to just teach me to trust him and to wait on him and not jump ahead. Sometimes we're so tempted in that situation to plead our case, to, to join the Justice League and, and just be the superhero for for our lives and to save ourselves and to fix the situation. If you're currently in one of those types of situations of injustice, it just helps to know what to do in place of taking revenge. Because so often we think, I just need to take revenge. I need to plead my case. God actually has some other things in mind. If I, in my situation, had acted on all the thoughts and emotions, I would have more than likely lost my job and missed some important growth things that God would have likely recycled in my next place of employment. Because injustice in life is common. It's common. It happens at home, it happens at work, it happens. It can happen in church life. Maybe you have focused on doing right by someone and they have repaid you with wrong. And you're thinking, that's not right. I've got to do something. Or maybe you're dealing with a very manipulative person in your life that is a leader over you and it's just infuriating. And it could be that's the situation you're in right now. Whatever it is, James, he's, he's addressing this Experience as he's talking both about the rich, unjust landowners, but then also the the people that are being um, that are suffering, the people in the church that are suffering. He's writing this. Really, it, it really does hit all of us. We can trust God in the middle of the pressures of injustice. He will hold people accountable in the next, really, in this life and in the next. For wrongs that are done. In scripture you find out that repaying good with evil actually brings a curse. So there's a line. We shouldn't cross to repay. A boss who treats his employees unfairly, really, he begins to undermine his own success. What happens is, just like in the situation James is saying, it, the, it unravels over time. The kingdom that they've built, it unravels over time. The Bible makes it clear that settling the score is God's work. He says, vengeance is mine, right? Saith the Lord, vengeance is mine. So often we think, no, it's got to be, I've got to get in on the action here. (laughs) I want to take part in this. So so look at what James says. James James lays out a plan for responding to injustice. Look at verses uh, 7 through verse 11. We can trust God under the pressure of injustice by first being patient. Being patient. Meaning wait. Wait on God. Wait for the process to, uh, to come to pass that God is working out. James points in verses 7 through 8 to a familiar example of patience. And that's the example of farming. I'm not a farmer. I struggle with patience. I'll admit it. <laughs> Farmers have to just, they plant. And they water, and they, you know, they got to know the seasons. And James refers to farming here, but he's talking about farming, and he ties it to this issue of suffering. He says, hey, if you're suffering, look at the farmers. There's a lesson to be learned here. Look at what he says, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. That's the return of Christ. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also. Be patient. 
See, this side of heaven, we should expect to experience pressure from all sorts of injustices. And so he says, look at the farmer. Just like the farmer who has to wait for the precious fruit, you know, that farmer, he's going to enjoy that fruit later. He, he cannot get lazy. He has to keep working his fields. He can't waste his time. The wise farmer does all that he can to wait for the rainfall to come. And he doesn't get sidetracked because he trusts the rain's coming. It's coming. Farmers don't think that seed today means grain tomorrow. No, they, they know it's going to take some time. And so we can look to this as an example for our own lives. As we're dealing with injustice, we can just trust God. We can operate from this same perspective. The wise farmer does all that they can do while they're waiting for the rainfall. They're working. But they're, you know, but they're being patient. They're exercising patience. Farmers don't bring rain. God brings the rain. Look at this sign. Many times I've been driving up the, the state, and you might find signs like this on Highway 99. These are typical signs. You know, pray for rain. The farmers, they, they, they know they don't bring the rain. God brings the rain. God brings the rain. So often in times we're, we're going through injustice and we, we lock on to this thought that I need to see justice right now. I need to be released from my suffering right now. I need, I need to be rescued right now. But many times in the Bible we see people having to wait on God and steadily just move forward with their responsibilities, trusting that God will bring ultimate justice just like He brings the rain in His time. And so in your life and in my life, with our responsibilities that we have every single day that need our time and need our focus, we can't get sidetracked. If we do, we end up losing ground in life. So for you that are parents, your kids, they, they still need parenting. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, but I'm going through the situation. It's just not fair. But your kids in the midst of that unjust situation need guidance. They need parenting. They need you to stay engaged. There might be some things you're walking through, some very, very hard pressures right now. Think of the farmer. I've got to keep working my ground. I can't just put my focus on the injustice or this difficulty that I'm facing, the suffering that I'm in. Some of you, I know, are going through some very, very difficult seasons and it's it's been long lasting but your responsibilities they're, they're still there your kids your work still needs focus it still needs diligence your studies can't wait your bills still need to be paid this is like the farmer they just stay at it the picture here is just keep working in your fields whatever that looks like in your life stay focused wait on god in his time be patient second thing james says is strengthen our heart he says, one way you trust God is you just have to keep strengthening our heart. The word here that James uses uh, in the second part of verse 8 is this. He says, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This, the word in, in the Greek has to do with fixing something, establishing or strengthening something. Like you just... It's... It's the same word that is used of Jesus where he fixed his face towards Jerusalem and it was immovable. He was going to move, he was going to Jerusalem. He knew what awaited in Jerusalem was the cross and he fixed his face. He, he just had to strengthen himself to keep moving towards that in the face of suffering. This word describes a commitment to just stay the course. So for what you're going through right now, if you're feeling like, uh, I just can't, I can't go on. You, we have to fix you know, our strength in our heart and our resolve to keep moving forward. 
The reason it's so important is because all sorts of emotions and desires start surging inside of us, trying to get us off track. And so we have to just decide, no, I'm going to keep moving forward, trusting God. I have to remind myself of this several times throughout the day. Uh, I have a scene from a, a, a movie called To End All Wars. And there's a group of people that are in a, a war camp. They're, these are prisoners of war. They are being mis... You know, they're, they're prisoners of war, and so they are suffering in this situation. And there is a group that is trying to help everyone endure and just have the right perspective in the midst of their suffering. And so they're drawing from uh, wisdom, I think, from Plato. And they're, the leader of this group is, is basically trying to, to keep people's perspective right in the midst of what they're going through. And you'll see this group is somewhat divided. There are people that are focused on a certain kind of approach, but then there's another person in the group who's a major who has a totally different thing brewing in his heart. And so you see kind of the, the different responses. So let's take a look at this. In the second book of the Republic, Plato says, What will happen to the just man should he enter this world? Well, the just man will be scourged, racked, chained, and after every kind of misery, he will be crucified on a pole for all to see. Any questions? I've got a question. Okay. Sure. My question. Yes. The just man is treated as you say. Then what's the just response? Roll over and let evil have its wicked way. What would you recommend, Major? I'd recommend defiance. Justice for the captors. An eye for an eye. At what price, mercy? <laughs> yeah, mercy. The last bastion of traitors and cowards. So you would take a man and crucify him on a pole for all to see? I would seek justice. So you, you just you see the the real life tension of when you're in suffering the emotional surge of we got to do something about it I've got to do something about it if you think that justice depends on you then you will do whatever you decide makes sense in your circumstances if you think you have to if you think it's up to me I've no one else is going to plead my case and I've got to do something about it clearly. So this actually strips away a lot of things with this type of pressure point. It actually strips away where are we trusting? Who are we really depending on? Do I think I have to seek my own justice? Or am I depending on God to come through in His time? Yeah, but this is what they said about me. This is what they did to me. This is what they're doing to me. This is, this is what I'm enduring It's, i got to do something. It depends on me. Again, if you think justice depends on you, 
then you, then you seek you seek it out. You seek out revenge. You seek out that justice is served swiftly. And so whenever we're walking through this stuff, we just have to keep strengthening our heart again and again and again that the fact that there is a righteous judge who will bring justice. God is paying attention. God does not ignore this. Also, James says this, refuse to, com- to complain. In the midst of injustice, we're tempted to grumble. We're tempted to complain about it. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another, brothers so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So, picture this. He's saying like, you know, the Lord is listening in on our processing. He's listening in on how we're really doing. He's standing at the door. Um, we can't grumble, is what James is saying, because God is, he, he is, he's very much aware of what what is happening in our lives. He's listening. He's engaged. He's present. And in our suffering, if we're, when we're tempted, if we step across that line, we're acting as if God is somehow unaware. And we need to remember, God cares. He sees. One reason to steer clear from complaining is because of the judge. After we die, we will stand before Christ, who is the judge, and we'll give an account. We'll give an account for our lives. The Lord will bring into the light how we've lived even our motives will be revealed. We looked at this in the series recently about how we were built to last and how we will, our, our lives and our deeds, will, our motives will be examined and evaluated. If we don't retaliate, if we decide, I'm not going to retaliate, but we get into grumbling, then all of our grumbling kind of negates this not retaliating. It negates the fact that we're patiently waiting. And so we just to steer away from grumbling against, you know, the situation or grumbling against one another. Some of the thoughts that come to our mind are these kinds of thoughts. It's not fair that I'm the only one being treated that way. It's just not fair. Or it's not fair that their life is a cakewalk while I'm going through all the suffering. It's It's not fair. James just says avoid it. Avoid the grumbling altogether. Finally, last thing he puts in a perspective is he gives the example of Job and he basically uses Job's example to remind us to endure. Endure through the pressure. Endurance is, is a quality that enables us to stand under pressure and to not escape from it. James gives us the example of Job. He says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. That's endurance. Remain steadfast. Hang in under the pressure. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Job's story is a source of strength and encouragement. Job's story is one of incredible trials and suffering and his story serves as one of the most inspiring stories in the history of God's people because of the way that he endured. And when we, re- when we read stories like Job, we're tempted to say things like, man, that's not fair. How could, how could God have allowed this to happen? But the truth of the matter is that God brings good to Job's story at the end of his life. He's with Job in the middle of his pain. In all of life's pressures, God is with us. He, is, he cares. He sees. He's involved. And for some of you right now, this issue of injustice is, is where you're living. And you're experiencing some suffering from something and this is where you're at and, and it's, you're stewing on things. And so, my hope is that God's Word and James's advice here on how to deal with it will help you know um, 
what to do. How to wait, how to pray, how to focus your thoughts, uh, how to steer the wrong thoughts and emotions as they come. For others, right now, the issue is not injustice. For some, it's other pressure points we've looked at, which maybe have to do with your words or temptation you're facing right now. Whatever it is, God, through pressure points, He, he, He shows us where we really turn. Do we turn to others to rescue us? Do we want to run away from the pressure? Uh, God, He wants to use the pressure of life to really grow us. This is His, His, His aim through the pressure points. He, he's trying to grow us to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And it's through the pressure points that that, that occurs. And I want to point your attention to the, to the next step here, the, just kind of evaluate, encourage you to evaluate, what are the key things that God has taught me through this series? What, what has He taught me about the pressure I'm facing? Is there something that just, as we look at this issue of pressure, a lot of the responses through these uh, messages really are very similar, how you walk through pressure. But the points themselves resonate with, with us in different ways because of what we're facing. What is it that God is teaching you through your current pressure points? Are you responding to to Him in the middle of all of these things? As we pray, I want you to just kind of focus your attention on how does God want you to respond today? There's another next step you see on here that is tied to uh, our Easter services we have next week. We'd love to encourage you to invite a friend and pray for them each day this week. And so as we prepare for celebrating Easter together. But let's pray and just respond uh, to this message and to God's Word. Father, thank You for the way that You speak to real issues in our lives, Lord. God, as we get into Your Word for the sake of understanding it, You you lead us to go further than just wrestling mentally with You, but You lead us to respond, to be people who take action. James 1.22, you know, that we would be people who are doers of the Word, not hearers only. We don't want to be deceiving ourselves, Lord, and just... Just... Simply wrestling in our minds. But Lord, help us to be people who respond this week, God. Lord, highlight in our minds right now, Lord, what, what are the key pressure points you're using? What is it that you're using to shape us? God, will you bring that to our mind, Lord, as we just pray in silence. Lord, help us to just reflect right now with you. And then listen to the direction you want us to move in. Thank you for your word and how you guide us through it. We ask for your strength this week as we walk with you and apply your truths. Give us the courage this week to invite those around us that 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 don't know you, that aren't walking with you, Lord. And then I pray that you would go before us, Lord, preparing them for those invitations. And then all week long, Lord, would you remind us to pray for them, pray for these guests, for our friends, for our family, who... who who need to hear about the hope that they can find in you. Lord, would you draw them to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name.